You are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. We are in Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. If you're new with us, we've been walking through the book of Ephesians. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm the the Salt Company uh, guy. So if you're a college-age um, person, student, um, and you want to get connected to what we're doing with college students, make sure that you, you talk to us or, or our other staff afterwards. We, love to, we would love to get you connected. But we are going through the book of Ephesians, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And if you don't have a Bible, I want to encourage you, we have Bibles um, on what we call Info Central as you're on your way in, not the Ronald McDonald House, which did that throw anybody off? Yeah, I came in this morning, I was like, oh, this is not Anthem Church. So uh, walk around that. As you go to Info Central, the table between the banners, we have Bibles there. The paperback ones are free. We just want to get those into the hands of people that don't have Bibles. There's a little bit nicer ones for like 10 bucks, which again, we're not trying to make money on. We just want to get those into the hands of people that don't have Bibles. So if you don't have one, please stop out uh, there as you go out. Ephesians chapter five, though. Verses one through five, we're going to look at five verses, and I'll be, I just want to be honest with you and transparent this morning. As I was studying through this passage, for some reason, I I love the way we look at the Bible at Anthem. I love the fact that that when we preach, when we teach, every now and then we take a break, like we we did missions a couple weeks ago, but as we go through the books, it's like, all right, that's, that's next, so I guess we're teaching on that. And there are, there are weeks where we come to passages where it's like, all right, I, I don't, I don't know what the main point of this is. And it's, it's a struggle, and it's, sometimes it's a grind. And as I looked at this passage over and over and over again, I kept saying, God, what is it that you would have for us as Anthem Church? What is Paul, the author of this letter, this book, to this group of people, what is the main point and purpose of this section of this letter? And as I keep reading it, the thing that I keep coming back to over and over and over again is the idea of, of how do we know that we are legitimate children of God? How do we know that we are children of God? How do we know that we are authentic? It reminds me of um, when my dad, we were, we were bringing my, my sister, my older sister, down to, to Central Methodist. She went to Central Methodist uh, as a college or university, whatever, in Fayette. And this was like 1997. So we're driving her down. And on the way down, we stop at a gas station. Okay. And, and at this gas station, there's this like roadside flea market, like which is two stalls or whatever. And so my dad, being one who is always up for a deal, like he, he always is trying to find an angle, always trying to find a deal. He's, he's looking at, that, at this place and they have Oakley's at this roadside flea market stand thing. And, and so he's, he's like, oh, Oakley's. Because at the time, 1997, that Oakley's, I think they're still pretty a big deal. But at the time, they were a big deal. Like everybody who was anybody had Oakley's. And so he was like, all those suckers that are paying high price for Oakley's, we can get them for a quarter of the price. And so he's bartering with the guy. And we walk away from that place with like a sack full of Oakley's, which there's a few things that should have tipped us off that they weren't real, Right. First of all, we bought them on the side of the road. Second of all, we went away with a sack full. I don't think that's how Oakley's usually come. But anyway, we, we get to Fayette. We get to Central Methodist. We're moving my sister in. And uh, one of my dad's friends was there. 
He was moving his son in, and dad was telling him about the good deal that we got on Oakley's. Now, this guy was like, he had Oakley's, and he had like legit Oakley's. He even had like the shirt and the hat, and you know, I mean, he was like an Oakley spokesperson. He loved it, and he's like, those aren't real. And my dad's like, oh, what? I don't know what you're talking about. And so he, he took his Oakley's, and he said, all right, these are Oakley's. And he took dad's Oakley's, and he's like, here are characteristics of real Oakley's. Let me, let me walk you through this. Like, put these on. Now put yours on that you bought on the side of the road, all right? You can tell the difference. Do you see the characteristics of, of what is legitimate and the characteristics of, of what you have? And I think that as we walk through this life, there, there are questions that many people have that say, all right, how do I know? I watched a video on, on YouTube the other day asking students, how do you know if you're going to heaven and why? And it was so interesting and disheartening and saddening to see student after student after student say, I don't think anybody can actually know. And, and like one guy, one guy on this video, he actually said, like, according to the choices I've made lately, I think maybe I should be a little worried about that. But hopefully the big man upstairs, hopefully he's seeing this interview. And I'm like, what, what about this interview would get you into heaven? And he's like, you sound like an idiot. Is that like, oh, he's an idiot. I'll let him in. Like, it, it's, it's like this idea of, of, well, we can't know. And as I see in this passage this morning, I believe that we can actually know. It's like my dad's friend who, who took his Oakleys and said, here are the characteristics of, of things that are real. And here are the characteristics of things that aren't. So what I'm asking you to do this morning is I'm asking us to do some self-evaluation. And I'm asking us to say, okay, like as we continue in this thought from Todd's message last week, if you didn't hear it, you should go online or get the app or whatever. But listen to that message because this is a continuation of thought. It's a continuation saying, okay, this is what it looks like for us to walk as legitimate children of God. And if you're there in Ephesians chapter five, verse one, we're going to start reading. He says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. All right, stop there. We're only doing five verses so we can take this a little bit slow. First of all, he says, therefore, Therefore, and, and again, I've said this before, right? When you see a therefore in scripture, you have to ask, what's the therefore? Therefore, all right? Paul is basically giving his, his readers a heads up and he's saying, hey guys, what I'm about to say is building off of what I've already said. So you need to understand what I've already said and what he's already said. If you look at chapter four, verse 32, he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, Understanding what has been done for you, understanding the fact that you have been forgiven, understanding the fact that you should now forgive because you have been forgiven. It's this state of forgiveness. These people that Paul is writing to, these people in Ephesus, these people who, who, were, who were bound up by so much sin and, and hopelessness. One of my favorite verses in Ephesians is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12. It says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He's saying, that's who you were. That's, you, were you were in sin, hopeless without God, apart from God. You guys, 
I don't know if you've ever felt that, if you've ever been in that place where you're, you're trying to find the things that fulfill, you're trying to find those things that satisfy, and yet thing after thing after thing just lets you down and leaves you empty. He's saying that's who you were, but that's not who you are now. Who you are now is you are forgiven. You see, we understand that Jesus Christ came and died for us. That's the good news of, of the Bible, right? That God loved us so much that he gave his son. So that we don't have to walk in hopelessness anymore. We don't have to walk in darkness anymore. We can walk as new people. And he says, therefore, therefore, because of our state of forgiveness, because of what God has done for us, he says, be imitators of God as beloved children. Be imitators of God as beloved children. See, the answer to that question of uh, how do I know I'm legitimate? If someone were to, to, to rate like those Oakleys, right? And say, here are characteristics of real Oakleys. Here are characteristics of a real child of God. Guys, what I want you to understand is that children of God are imitators of God. Children of God are imitators of God. He says, therefore, because of what's been done in you, be imitators of God as beloved children. So I think that if, if you read that, I mean, the, I mean, come on, like Paul is saying, imitate God, right? I mean, what kind of a standard is that? Like, the, all right, God is omniscient, omniscient omnipresent. Uh, I, I mean, he's all these omni words, right? It's like, I don't even remember them all. And I can't, I definitely can't like spell them all, but he's all these different things. And, and it's like, how do I be that? But he says, as a, as a beloved child imitates their parents, you are, if you are a child of God, you will imitate God. We see this all the time in our kids, right? For those of you who have kids or if you've seen people who have kids, right? As this, this idea of be imitators, it's, a, it's called a present imperative, which that sounds really smart, but basically what it means is it's a continuation. This isn't just something that's like, oh, I, I prayed a prayer, now I'm good. It's, Paul is saying, continue in this, in this walk. And again, we see this in kids. When, when, when our kids are born, it's like, it's like, ooh, right? <laughs> you know, they're covered in stuff and they're slimy and it's like, no, I don't, you know, like wrap that thing up before you give it to me, you know? And, and then people like, people will, will come to the hospital and they'll be like, oh, she looks like her mom or, oh, he looks like his dad. It's like, Really? Like, is that an insult or what? You know, it's like not, not any of our anthem babies, right? They're, all of them are precious and beautiful. But, uh, um, but our kids, you know, they start out like that, and it's like it's not super pretty. And yet as they continue to grow and as they continue to develop and as they continue to, to take on personalities and as they begin to continue to grow into their ears and things like that, you know, it's like, oh, my goodness. The, kids want to imitate their parents. Kids, like, if, if dad is out mowing, I want to be out there too. I want to get my toy mower out there. If, 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 if dad is, you know, I remember my dad, he was a pig farmer in the, in the early 80s, and I remember wanting to go out there and be on the farm with dad. And I, I remember I had these, these little green, like, boots, and I'd walk out. That didn't last very long because pigs are really smelly, right? And I, I figured that out as a, as a kid. But I wanted to imitate my dad. And there's other parts of that, too, where, where it's like that, that is mindfulness. Like our kids, they, they want to be like us. But there are other things where, where it's like 
you just imitate your parents because that's who you are. You're a child of your father and your mother. Like if you would see pictures of my wife when she's the, the same age as my daughter is now, I mean, they look so much alike. When, when our kids were little, people would say, oh, it's like you, you have a miniature one of each of you. Because that's, they, they did, they look so much like us. Um, my, my son, now he'll bring home homework and like his, his uh, whoop, am I good? His, his homework will, will be covered in drawings and like capital letters he'll turn into monsters and things. And, and I remember going to parent-teacher conferences. Nick said he liked them. I hated them. I, I dreaded them uh, because it was like the teacher would be like, yeah, here's what's wrong with your kid. You know, and I remember, I remember one time the teacher told my parents that they're like, you've got to get Luke to stop doodling all over his homework because we can't read what he actually wrote. And it's so interesting to me because it's like, my son is imitating me, and I, he's not trying. There's an aspect to this where we say, okay, if you are a child of God, be imitators of God. Continue to walk in that. If you are a child of God, you're going to imitate God. If you are a child of God, we set our eyes on God. We put our focus on God, and we say, as, as we fall short of this, as we fall short of this imitation and, and we lie or we gossip or we, we lust or whatever it is and we sin and we fall in that sin and we feel the, the, the conviction and the guilt of that. See, the question is, what do you do with that? Because as imitators of God, keeping our eyes on God, looking like God as children of God, what we should do with that is we should always constantly becoming more like God. And we say, God, I don't like this within me. Take this. Take this from me. Make me more like you. If you are a child of God, you are an imitator of God. He goes on, he says, it's how do we do that? He says, as beloved children, first of all, how you do that is you understand how much we are loved. That, that word beloved is, is, it's an idea of a single child family. Like parents who have one kid and they just pour love out on that child, and that child is so filled up with the love of their parents that they walk in confidence that their parents love them. There is a difference when we walk in confidence knowing that we are loved, isn't it? That changes things. We see that in kids too. My, my, my wife and I, we went through this training not too long ago um, talking about how to, how to minister to and how to love on kids who have been abused and, and neglected. And in this training, they talked about orphanages in places like Russia, where kids are, there, there are rooms full of kids lying in cribs, kids who are hungry, kids who ha have, have dirty diapers, kids who are laying with sores on their body because there are not enough workers to take care of these kids, and yet the kids are all silent. There's no crying. Do you know why there's no crying? Not because there's no pain. There's no crying because they've cried enough to know that nobody's coming for them. And so a child, if they cry long enough and nobody comes for them, they will stop crying because they are told at a young age that their voice does not matter. See, when we walk and we try and, we try and imitate God and we try and imitate God in a way that's like, okay, I'm just going to work hard and I'm going to do this, we work out of this idea that it's all about us. And yet when we work out of the understanding that we are beloved children, that we are so filled up with the love of God, that we are like a child who cries out and their father is there. 
We're like, we, we understand and we know. And the first thing that we need to understand as children of God is that our father loves us. He loves us. And the thing that we need to understand as we go forward in this and we, under, we, we start to talk about what does it mean to imitate him, we need to start with that understanding first and foremost. And if you don't know that love, guys, I'm asking you, I'm, I'm asking you to, to seek out that love. Because God desires to pour that out on us. He goes on, he says, how can we be imitators of God? In verse two, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. How do we imitate God? It's not all the omni words. It's not being all powerful. Uh, It's not being all of those things. He says, this is how you imitate God. You walk in love. How do we do that? He gives Jesus as an example. Right? He, he says, look, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. When you think about the love of Jesus, when you think about the love that should characterize us walking in love, I mean, think about the different places it talks about the love of Jesus for us. Earlier on in Ephesians, Paul talks about while we were yet sinners, while we were still lost, when we were still spitting in the face of God, going our own way, says he died for us. What would it look like to love people that way? What would it look like for us as Anthem Church to love people in a way that there are no strings attached to our love? What would it look like for us to love in a way I, I love in Romans eight thirty five? He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What would it look like for us to love in a way that Jesus has loved us? The love that says, look, no matter what you do, I'm here for you. No matter where you go, I am here for you. Verse 37 of chapter eight in Romans, it says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I love the fact that when we look at this love of Jesus, it's a love that's poured out on us because of who we are becoming, not because of who we were. What would it look like for us to love the people around us? Not not seeing who they are, but seeing them through the eyes of Jesus, through the eyes of God, knowing that they are a person made in God's image with his imprint. What would it look like for us to love them like that? The the pinnacle of this this love, of us walking in love is Jesus. It says, um, did you catch it there? It says, He loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. There there are two ways that he describes this. The first of all, the fragrant offering. If you look at the Old Testament and you see the different ways that people gave sacrifices, there were people who would give sacrifices because it was their duty. And the law said, you need to give these sacrifices. And what would happen, the Bible would say, that God would not be pleased with that sacrifice because they didn't do it from a heart that wanted God. They did it from a heart of, of legalism and religiosity. I think we all know what it looks like to love people that way, don't we? Like, there, there's a term when I was up in, uh, I spent some time in Minnesota. There's a term up in Minnesota called Minnesota Nice. You ever heard that? If you're from Minnesota, maybe you've heard that. Minnesota nice means they're not nice, right? Minnesota nice means they're nice in front of you, like while you're there. It's like Mean Girls. I'm showing my age, right? Remember that? It's like, hey, nice bracelet, right? Like, you know, you say something nice and it's like, well, I I mean, I'm going to fake it, right? While they're here, I'll be nice to them, but my heart isn't there. 
I don't really want to engage in this. I don't really want to know anything about their lives. I don't really want to love them because this is going to cost me too much. See, the pinnacle of this, Paul is saying, Jesus, the way that we should love other people is the way that Jesus loved us. How did he love us? It says that he set his heart to go to Jerusalem. He set his mind the night before he gave himself on the cross. He cried out in the garden. He says, God, if there's any way, would you take this cup from me? So stressed that he's sweating drops of blood. And he says, but not my will, your will be done. And the way in which he, he loved us and poured us out, it, it says that it was a fragrant sacrifice to God. God was so pleased with the way Jesus loved us. He goes on and it, he says, is it sacrifice to God? The way Jesus loved us and the way that we are to walk in love is not only with a heart open and saying, God, I want to love these people, but I, I don't know how to do that. But it's also this action where, where like in James, he says, don't only love in word and deed, right? As action, what we're trying to do as a church is we're trying to figure out how do we really love this community? Not just say that we do with lip service, but actually walk in love. What would happen if we adopted a heart that said, man, I, I want to pour into the people around me? Not because I just want to look the part, not because I want to have a good reputation, not because of all these other things, but because God calls me to love them. And what would it look like for us as Jesus poured himself out for us and became the sacrifice for us and provided the needs for us, provided the things that we needed? What would it look like for us to walk in that and say, okay, how do we reach this community? How do we walk in love to reach out because that's because we are children of God and we want to look like our father. See, then, then after this verse, it changes, it changes direction. He says, but it's almost like he's saying, here are, here are these real Oakleys, right? Here's a real true follower of Jesus. Here's a child of God. They, they know their love. They walk in that love. They pour them out, out sacrificially, but buckle up, right? Verse three, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let's just stop there. Now I want us to, let me read that again. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you as is proper among the saints. I think, it's, I think it's important for us to remember who is being talked to. Again, they're, they're these people from this culture where it, to be an Ephesian meant culturally that you were a worshiper of Diana. There was a huge temple in their, in their city. And it was just known that if you were an Ephesian, you were a worshiper of Diana. And what that meant is that to worship Diana, it was temple prostitution. It was all these different things. They were wrapped up in all these different sins and, and witchcraft and sorcery and just so lost. And as we were talking about this, Stan said, what, what is the cultural context? Why is Paul saying this about sexual immorality and impurity and all these? And it's because just because they changed, their culture didn't. I heard one, one pastor saying that they were like an island in, this, in a sea of debauchery. Yes, God got a hold of their lives and he changed them drastically, but he's saying, remember, remember, but sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, these must not even be named among you as saints. That first word there, sexual immorality, it's a very broad term. 
It's, it's where we get the, the, the term for pornography, the word for pornography. It's a, it's a broad term. It's, it's this idea of anything outside of the context that God desired for sex. It's, it's anything outside of that, any, any, any deviation from that intent, original intent. And the question is, okay, so then, so then the, the implication is that sex has an intent and a design, right? Yes. We see that all throughout scripture. I, I love, uh, I, I heard one time a comedian saying, you know you haven't been to church in a while when uh, you find your children reading Song of Solomon and you ask them, where did you get this? Right? Obviously you haven't read Song of Solomon in a while because that's funny, right? <laughs> I mean, you read through Song of Solomon and you see God's original intent for sex and marriage. You see his original design. There, there are three different types of love displayed in the Song of Solomon. There's, there's this idea of this friendship type love. There's a covenant love and there's erotic love. And it all comes together and, and it paints this beautiful picture of what God designed. Now, I heard, I heard a, a pastor once talking about how it's almost like, like if God were to, to have a, a recipe for cake, right? And it's like, it's God's cake. Wouldn't we want that? Yeah, I bet it's pretty good, right? Angel food's good, but what would God's cake be like, right? <laughs> and if, if God gave you this recipe and it's like, all right, flour, sugar, eggs, I don't know what else goes in cake, oil? My wife's not here. She does all that stuff, right? And, and if it, what we do, most of the time, it's almost like we have this recipe, right, for God's design, and we take it and we're like, oh, yeah, cake sounds awesome. Well, I've, I've got some flour and I've got an egg, so... I'll just take a spoonful of flour, crack that egg in my mouth, and it's like, oh, cake is not good, right? It's like, no, you, that's not cake, right? You, it's what we do in our culture is we take like the erotic form of love, and we take that and we run with it, and even though there's brokenness in that, even though we see magazines as we check out in the, in the grocery store that says, have better sex now, and so obviously everybody's saying, okay, this isn't that great, yeah, there's temporary pleasure, but there's just something off about it. And the reason is, is because God's saying, no, I have something better for you. Don't just take that one aspect and run with it. It's meant, guys, let me be really clear. Throughout the Bible, what we see is God's original design for sex is one man, one woman, in a covenant, loving, intimate relationship. It is a picture God designed it to be a picture of the relationship that he wants to have with his people. That's what marriage is. Marriage is this de design, and it's, it's reflecting God, and, and sex within that picture is it's saying, oh, this is how much I want to know you. And yet sex outside of that is a lie. It's, it's that erotic love, and yet it's like, oh, this this isn't good, and it's leaving me empty, and I don't know why. The reason is, I, I love also in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 7, the, the bride in this, in this poem is talking to her, her attendants, her, her bridesmaids, and she says, I adjure you, I plead with you, I, please listen to me. She says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it is time until it pleases. She says, guys, I'm eating cake, right? This is awesome. 
But don't go there. Don't let yourself go there until it's time you don't understand. See, there's another aspect to sex. It's like fire. I'm sure you've heard the illustration before where fire in its right context is awesome. It's a lot of fun to play with too, right? Um, no kids, it's not, right? But, but fire in the right context is great and it provides warmth and energy and all these different things. And yet fire in the wrong context is incredibly destructive. See, he goes on and he says, that's, that's what we're seeing with sex in our culture. We are, we are trying to enjoy it in the wrong context and what we're doing is we are destroying ourselves. We are destroying ourselves and we are destroying those around us. He, he goes on, he says, guys, he goes on to, to impurity. He says, it's not only the action, but it's the impurity. It goes on from like this qualitative state. The, the sexual desires come from a, from, a, from a wrecked heart. He says, Jesus says it this way in Matthew 5, 2 through 30. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that of your whole body be thrown into hell. Now, Jesus isn't saying like, if you look at a girl, if you look at a guy and you lust, like pluck that eye out. He's saying, look, there is consequences for doing this outside of the context that it was meant for. And they are dire. And it starts with a heart. Paul is saying, yes, sexual impurity, sexual, all of this stuff, the action, but also the, the impurity of the heart. He goes on and he talks about covetousness. And that word covetousness is also, it's greed or avarice, right? That word avarice. I love that word. It's like avarice. Like it just sounds menacing. Avarice, it's, it's described insatiable greed for riches, inordinate miserly desire to gain and hoard wealth. I mean, you think about the idea of greed in our culture. You think about the idea of, of like, I mean, Black Friday's coming up, right? How many of you are crazy enough to be Black Friday shoppers? Nobody wants to raise their hand. All right, that's fair. So I guess you're not lying if you, if you don't admit it. But you think about Black Friday, right? My, my wife loves going out Black Friday. She loves getting good deals. I hate it because it is just crazy. Like, like old women and men, like punching people. And like, I mean, it's just like there's no holds barred on Black Friday. You know why? It's because there is avarice in our culture. This idea that we need to consume and we, it's all about me and I'm going out and I'm going to get this. I'm going to get the... the tickle me Elmo or whatever. And it's like, I'm going to beat down anybody who's going to stand in my way. Right. And Paul is saying, look, in the context, not only should we not be people who are characterized by, by avarice and greed, people who are looking at ourselves, but in the, in the context of sexual desire, this, this idea of avarice, it's this idea of consuming people. This, when we experience sex in the way that God designed it, he's saying that is love. When you step outside of that, you are not focusing on the other person anymore. Like, the, did you, you remember the, the thing that, that Paul says, be imitators of God as beloved children, walk in love. The opposite of that is this sexual desire, impurity, covetousness. The opposite of walking in love to those around us is this idea of sexual desire, impurity, covetousness. 
See, the, the example that we get in this is Jesus providing for us all of our needs and providing for us the things we need. And the opposite, opposite of that, all these impurities and covetousness, consuming people, doing, having sex outside of the context, this covenant marriage relationship of one man and one woman, it's actually the opposite. It's taking from others what you desire. It's, it's all about you. It's not about the other person. It's not about loving. This is the opposite of love. At best, it's just purely selfish. At worst, it's just apathetic. You just don't care because you're getting your desires fulfilled. You see, what, what Paul is saying here is he's saying, this should not even be named among you as saints. He's saying, look, if you're going to be a child of God, let's look at this characteristics of a child of God. If you look at your heart and you self-evaluate and say, oh man, I am doing these things. Oh, I feel this impurity within me. I do have a desire to, to consume because I think that's going to fulfill me. He says, look within yourself. And if you see that, stop it. Plain and simple. He says, if you are a child of God, you do not do these things. As a child of God, it reminds me like my kids, we used to have, um, well, I mean, not used to, but the, every now and then it's like, all right, the, we have a problem with lying. I do too. All right. Let me, let me just put that out there. There are times where I'll say things. I'm like, oh, why did I say that? That's not true. Right. But there are times where, where my kids will lie to me and I'll tell them, I'll say, hey, are you a Hedinger? That's my last name, by the way. Are you a Hedinger? I say, yeah. Okay. You are. That means we don't lie. If you are heading, if you are this, that means you are not this. So if you see this within you, stop it. Right? He says, and, and he reminds him, he says, this shouldn't even be named among you as saints. Remember who you are. You have been saved. You are no longer part of that. You are part of this. So walk in this. He goes on, not only in our actions, but in our words. Verse uh, verse four, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. You guys, we not only have taken these things and we've made them practices, we've not only done these things and out of impure hearts, we have acted on these things, but we turn it into entertainment, don't we? I mean, you think about the different movies that are out there. Think about movies like Deadpool. Think about movies like the, the Hangover movies. Think about movies like Fifty Shades of Grey and all these different things that for some reason, we as believers, we as saints, we as people who call ourselves children of God, we see it as okay for us to, to go and take part in because it's not, we're not doing it. And yet we find humor in it and we find it, we find it humorous. The things that God died for, the things that Jesus were whipped for, the sins that we were we needed to be forgiven for, we now go sit and we pay $15 to sit in a theater and laugh at. He's saying, look, that's, that doesn't make sense. That's improper. Those things don't add up. And I've been so convicted about this over the past few weeks. Like, I mean, think about the TV shows I watch. I mean, I, can I just be honest? Like, there's shows like New Girl that's like, oh, that's funny. And then I read this and I'm like, oh, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't find that funny. Maybe I shouldn't be, be, be walking in that. Because if I'm a child of God, then that means something. 
It means I don't find the things that Jesus had to die for as entertainment. He says, again, those are, those are out of place. Verse five, and this is where we're going to land the plane. He says, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetousness or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Guys, this is, <laughs> I think this is where I had the hardest time coming to you. Because as we look at this, and as I'm saying, all right, here are the characteristics of a child of God. Here are the characteristics of someone who is not. Paul is saying, look, if you continue to walk down this path, I want to be really clear. If you continue to, to walk in this, he says, this sexual impurity, this, these impure motives of our heart, this covetousness, he says, that is idolatry. What does that mean? It means that you are worshiping something other than God. For you to say, no, I know better. For you to say, no, I'm going to experience sex in this way. For you to say, no, I'm going to consume because I think that's going to make me happier. For you to, to walk in those things, you are saying, I know better. D does, that, does that ring a bell for anybody? Adam and Eve in the garden. Right? The snake comes in and says, hath God said? Hath God said that you will die? And Eve took the fruit, and she saw that it was good, and it was pleasing, and it was good to eat. And she consumed it, and she bit into the lie. And because of that, sin entered the world, and death entered the world. Guys, this is, this is a sobering reality. And the reality is this, that if we are children of God, and if we look at ourselves and we say, oh, I, don't, I don't like what I see, and so I'm going to walk I'm going to take steps, and I'm going to let my life be characterized by love instead of by these other things. But if you continue to walk in these things, if you continue to walk in this and find entertainment in this and, and continue to act out in this because you know better, then the reality is what Paul is saying is he's saying you are worshiping at an altar that is not the altar of God. And you can't do both. To me, that's scary. To me, that's scary because it means that if I look at myself and I say, God, I don't like these things, right? I'm going to give them to you. God, the, the promise there is God is going to say, all right, we're, I'm making you into more a person that looks more like me, and that's great. And yeah, you were ugly and you were covered in slime, but now you're not, right? You're continuing to become more like me because you're my son. And yet if we say, I see these things, but I'm going to keep walking. The reality is, is that Paul says you are not a part of the kingdom. I love where, where he talks about when, when the, the coarse joking and foolish, foolish talk and all that stuff. He says, let, let us have thanksgiving in our mouth. See, if we are going to walk in this way, if we are going to continue to follow Jesus, then we need to understand that we are forgiven. That those things that we walk in, those, those sexual desires and those impurities and that covetousness, the, the desire for more for me and for me. I, I remember talking to a guy in my church in Sumner, uh, Iowa, and I was, these, this couple was in. They were, wanted to dedicate their baby, and um, they were unmarried. And I was talking to them. I'm like, okay, like, like just help me figure this out. Why? And I, talk, I talked to the guy. And I said, why won't you marry this girl? And he's like, oh, I just, uh, I wasn't wasn't prepared to answer this question. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm just not ready for that commitment. <laughs> what? Right? Like, 
They were in my office to dedicate their baby. He's, not, he's saying, I'm not ready for this commitment to marry her. Are you kidding me? You see, what he's saying is he's saying, I, it's about me. I don't know if I'm ready to take that step for her. It's, it's about me, and I want to fulfill my needs and my desires. See, my question for you tonight, tonight, it's morning. We haven't been in here that long. My question for you this morning is, if you are a child of God, that means you are an imitator of God, right? What does that look like for you? I I really, Stan's going to come up in just a few seconds. We're going to take communion. As we do that, I just want you to to self-evaluate and say, okay, God, like, where is my heart? Where are my actions? Where are, where are you focused? Are you an imitator of God? Or are you an imitator of our culture? Are you an imitator of your own desires? Because let me tell you guys, our culture needs people who are imitators of God. They need people who are walking in love, especially all the stuff that we see around us with the election. No matter who you voted for, no matter what, people are in need of, to see people who are actually walking in love, right? Don't they? They need to see Christians, churches like Anthem Church that says, I am not going to walk according to my own desires, but instead I'm going to walk according to love and I'm going to pour myself out for those around me and not to consume, but to provide for their needs. And my question for you this morning is, is that you? Are you focused on God? Are you a child of God? Are you you legitimate? Or would you look at yourself and say, no, I'm going after my own desires and I need to stop and I need to turn I need to repent. Let's pray. God, I praise you for for your word. I praise you for um, just the promises that you give to us over and over and over again, God. The fact that that we can be forgiven, that we can be your children, God. And I pray that you would help us. God, help us to self-evaluate. I pray, God, that, that even as I went through this passage this past week and even as I began to look at my own life and the things that I find as, as entertainment and the, 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 the covetousness of my own heart, God, I, God, I pray that you would forgive me. I pray that you would help me to continue to become more like you, to be an imitator of you, God, and I pray that for all of us here, this church, that we would find our identity in you and in your love, and it's in your name. Amen.